everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flops Podcast. I'm Angelique Gay, a mom and a writer who recently went through a major life transition. Each week, I invite other creatives and changemakers on to talk about their own transitions, a time in their life when they felt completely untethered and lost, which as it turns out, is completely normal and can even be life-affirming. Today, I am giddy. I get to chat with the always brilliant, generous, and adventurous Leslie Stevens. Leslie just left her role as VP content at Cupcakes and Cashmere back in August after five years. She decided to go back to school to study social media addiction and eco-psychology. Today, we talk about why she made this huge leap and how she is feeling mid-transition. We also talk about what she learned in her former role and her current favorite class. her brain about capsule closets and her new creative project I can't get enough of. Enjoy. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to talk to you. I am so excited. I'm so thrilled. And if I think about it, I'm going to start to cry. So I can't think about it. <laughs> Why are you feeling that way? What What is coming up for you? And I know this has been such a long time coming of us. Having I, know, I know. I know. Uh, you're just very generous and it's very touching. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I feel humbled and honored to be invited onto your podcast and to have this space that you're creating to share with you and talk to you. Well, thank you so much for all that you've done already, creating the logo and, and <laughs> writing the opening yes. and believing in transitions as a topic that people would like to talk about. Yes, very much so. <laughs> yes. So you have just been through an enormous transition over the last year. So I was wondering if you could share with people yes, kind of how you made this huge career pivot. Pivot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love when you put the little friend. <laughs> yes. Yes. This couch pivot. That was very cute. Um, yeah. Just kind of share how you made this decision to go from, mm-hmm. you know, working at Cupcakes and Cashmere to a huge shift and kind of go back to psychology and, and so how you made the decision and then what feelings were a part of that transition and how you navigated your way through all of that? So many feelings, Angelique. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say the first thing is that, you know, you're so generous when you say, how did you manage this pivot and this transition almost as if it's this complete thing that I've decided and I'm doing and now I'm off to this new adventure. But it is still so ongoing and so plagued with doubt and so full of moments where I think, what am I doing? Am I, have I made the right choice? Have I made the right transition? I know, Angelique, that you spoke about your own transition that you made it and feeling like you're in this tailspin. And I sort of can very much relate to that. I feel like I'm currently in a free fall where I'm just sort of grasping and figuring out what am I supposed to do and what am I doing here? But To back up a little bit and just sort of provide the background to it, I studied psychology in undergraduate, so I've always been very interested in it. I've kind of approached my job in editorial over the past decade through that lens. I've always been very curious about people and really interested in the individual experience and why people do what they do. So this for me really came to a head for me during the pandemic, honestly, with realizing how much people were hurting and Thinking about our relationships with the internet, particularly with social media, I'm very interested in social media addiction in general. I'm very interested in trolling and antagonistic internet behaviors. So I sort of thought more and more about, okay, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do with my career? How can I combine my passions of writing and editing, my interest in the internet, my interest in people? And I landed in my master's program that I'm in now, which is in professional mental health counseling with a specialization in addictions, which is a mouthful, but essentially means that I'm interested in counseling people who have social media addictions. And then you also want to use nature to help heal people as well, which is a huge passion of yours. So how Mm -hmm. today, and it will change (laughs) often. Constantly, yes. I picture you, you know, walking through the forest with your dogs (laughs) with someone and kind of counseling them at the same time and providing a space for them. So do you have a vision yet of of what your practice will look like? Or are you just Mm -hmm. 
is it too early to say? I mean, it's literally changing every day. So I started school three weeks ago. And I will say that before I started taking my classes, I think I had this really clear vision that remains my vision, but of just combining my interest of eco-psychology and particularly attention restoration therapy through nature of counseling people while walking down a forest path, which is something that's sort of in vogue now in the school that I'm attending, is one of the only schools in the United States to offer this eco-psychology certificate, which is why I was drawn to this program. So yes, I definitely have this clear vision of walking and counseling people, but I also, I think just being in school has opened up possible avenues and questions also about where I could take counseling and what I would want to do with it. So that's definitely one of the avenues that I'm interested in, but it's sort of opened up Pandora's box for me. Which is an incredible place to be. I think it's, I was just talking to a friend who used the pandemic as a time to go back to Mm -hmm. school and learning again for her has just been an amazing experience. And Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering, did you have any fear around going back to school and starting again? Or was your vision just so strong mm-hmm. that you just knew that it was the right move for you? Or were you just really willing to take that risk? Oh, full of fear. Full of fear, but also, of course, coupled with excitement. I wouldn't have done it if the only emotion that I felt was fear. But yeah, I mean, a lot of fear and self-doubt, I think, you know, it's interesting meeting the other people in my program because so many people are coming directly from undergraduate and they have a huge leg up in some senses of the schoolwork where I'm in an advanced research methods class and they have this, it's been literally 10 years since I've taken a research methods course. And so they're already familiar with all these really heady terms that I have completely forgotten. So I feel like I'm just completely flailing and that can be really scary to dive back into something that is completely out of my wheelhouse. And I mean, I think that the other scary element of it is just feeling like, you know, this constant questioning of should I be here? Am I making the right choice? My program that I'm in is a three-year program. So it's, you know, it's difficult to not have these moments of like, wow, this is such an enormous commitment of both time and money. It's expensive to go back to school. So I've been thinking about it a lot, but I'm definitely not in any place of being 100% confident. I question it every day, but you know. And how, so how do you get through that? Is it a matter Mm -hmm. of talking to your congratulations, relatively new husband? (laughs) Thank you. Who you've been with for so long. Mm-hmm. Is it a matter of speaking to him? Is it, how yes. do you, do you call your mom? Or do you call your <laughs> pet? Like who, who do you call? All of the then? above. All <laughs> of the above. Yes. I think it's probably clear from my answers in this speaking to you, Angelique, just how much I talk. And I literally, I understand things by talking. So my husband, Jonah, is incredibly patient and wonderful and really listens to my concerns. So that's been huge. Also talking to the other students in my cohort is just enormous. I think that it's very normal at the beginning of a master's program to have feelings of doubt for one reason or another. So talking to them, calling my mom, Speaking with my own therapist, I mean, truly, I've been having these conversations constantly. And I'm also somebody who I very much get into my own head. And I think that I'm constantly in a state of assessing, which can be a strength. But it also is a lot. Constantly saying like, okay, am I doing this correctly? Is this the right thing for me right now? And ultimately, the answer might be no. You know, I'm committed to one semester and I'm really, really enjoying this and I'm loving the schoolwork that I'm doing right now. But I think that a lot of people in this program really feel like they were born to be counselors. And I'm not quite at that level. So I think that I'm sort of in this position where I might be questioning it the entire time I'm in the program. And that's okay. I mean, doing something new, and to make yourself vulnerable, it takes practice, and Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of faith. Yes, yes, definitely. If it's any consolation, I think it's incredible what you're doing. And I think it makes total sense. And I'm happy to know that there's someone like you even considering doing something like this because thank you. And just to frame it through the pandemic, there's Mm -hmm. there already was a mental health Mm -hmm. pandemic. And Mm -hmm. now there's a much, much bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that kind of played into your decision of knowing that there was a mental health crisis and that, you know, even as we come out of the pandemic, the ripple effects of it Mm -hmm. psychologically for people will keep playing out. 
And I'm just wondering if that was kind of part of your decision or was it, mm-hmm. like, oh, did you, yeah, mm-hmm. like, did you think of it kind of entrepreneurially as this could be a future business or was it more, this is where my curiosity is right now? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's a combination of everything really. And I mean, so I'm in the addictions track, which means that we've been having a lot of conversations about, you know, how much addictions in particular were exacerbated during the pandemic. And I'm obviously coming at it from this interest of social media addiction, where I think a lot of people relied a little bit more heavily on technology and social media, possibly to their detriment. I still think that social media can be an incredible tool, but obviously it can go over to a place where it's no longer about connecting and it's just a replacement for actual coping. But we've been having a lot of conversations about substance abuse that was exasperated during the pandemic. And, you know, I think that I am coming from this place of, I'm of course thinking realistically about my future career and how I am interested in a career that will fulfill me and one where there is longevity in the career. And, you know, I think that unfortunately, it's weird to have a career that I'm going into that is predicated on the belief that people will continue to need mental health resources. But I think that that is the case and that that will only go up. And especially in the state that I am, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and there's a huge need for more mental health professionals. It's amazing. So I asked you how you made the decision, but you Mm -hmm. obviously had, and I'm, you know, this is all coming from a place of me trying to figure out what I'm doing next and speaking to other people who are trying Mm -hmm. to figure out what they're doing next. And I know you're someone who has so many antennas and so many interests and (laughs) I know that when, you know, when Leslie says she's going to do some research, like there is some serious research (laughs) that happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, how did you get started? Was it through conversations with friends? Was was Mm -hmm. it like two in the morning, one night on the internet? And you were like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, look at this program that exists. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you make your decision? Well, first of all, I love how you put that having so many antenna, because I think that that does very much apply to me. And I have a lot of interests. And that's sort of one of the areas that I've just, I've been thinking a lot about, like, which avenue to explore. But so when I make big decisions in general, I make them, I sort of, like a thought will occur to me. And it's like, oh, that's what I'm going to do next. And that is what happened with me being interested in applying to a master's program in counseling. I literally, I had just been thinking a lot about all of these themes of social media addiction and what I was going to do. And it was really bothering me also just how people were reacting online to the pandemic. And I felt like people didn't have a healthy outlet for their feelings. And and neither did I. I was having a really hard time too. And I was finding myself relying very heavily in, in unhealthy ways on social media. So I think that I had been thinking about these things a lot in the background. And at one point, I really, I'm an early bird. My newsletter is called Morning Person. So I wake up really early. And that's when I do a lot of my work and my contemplation and reflection. And there was one point during the pandemic where I woke up early, I was reading a self help book, and I can't even remember what the title of the book was. And honestly, I don't think that I recommend the book in its entirety. It just had this one line that stuck out to me. And it just basically asked, like, what do you want to do really? And that's when this vision of me sort of walking down this woody trail with a client as a counselor popped into my head. And so from there, you know, I started looking up, I think I Googled like nature therapy to see if that was a thing. And that landed me on all these pages about eco-psychology. And then I started looking up eco-psychology. And then I learned that one of the only schools in the United States to offer an eco-psychology certificate, I think there's four maybe, that even have programs that deal with eco-psychology. One of them was in Portland, Oregon, which is a city that Jonah and I at the time were in LA, but we're looking into moving to Portland. So At that point, I just sort of started to continue looking into that program. I saw that it had an addictions track. I saw that it had a really good reputation. So I didn't do that much research. I think a lot of it was just the luck of landing on that and the puzzle pieces sort of fitting into place for me. Wow. Mm -hmm. You wrote a really, really moving piece called We Need to Talk About How We Talk to Each Other. Mm -hmm. I believe that was the name. And you wrote about how and I hope it's okay if we talk about this. I'm yes, assuming yeah. if it's online that it's okay. Yes, yes. Um, but if, it's, if you don't, we can move on. But mm-hmm. 
yeah, you just spoke about how you were just receiving a barrage of mm-hmm. essentially criticism for from spoiling a Harry Potter plotline <laughs> that had been out for 12 years to mm-hmm. whatever correction it is people were saying. And mm-hmm. obviously, we were all in such a sensitive Mm -hmm. place during the pandemic and I just really felt for you having all of this constant constant feedback and I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if it's situations like that that perhaps propelled you to say there's a problem here and I I want to do something about it yes definitely so that was a piece that I wrote in April 2020 and it was essentially exactly what you talked about it just sort of addressed I, at the time, it was published on Cupcakes and Cashmere, which was the brand that I worked for for five and a half years before leaving for my master's program. And I mean, I had been very naive to antagonistic online behavior and trolls. I had never even or very rarely visited comment sections before working at Cupcakes and Cashmere. So even starting working there, that was a, you know, almost just this wake up call of like, oh, wow, there's a lot of negative negativity online, which was probably naive. But I had, you know, I had a lot of experience with it at the time that I wrote this piece um, and had really come to terms with it. But I noticed that starting in March of 2020, I mean, it's so hard to remember back then, but the amount of negativity and just vitriol on the internet, just it you know, it just came down, like it multiplied. A lot of media companies decided to remove their comments at the time. And it was just, it was the sheer number of people writing. It was also the difference. I have always in my writing welcomed feedback, but this was not coming from a place of teaching. It was coming from a place of correcting and of sort of gotcha mentality and of just really coming from a negative place of like airing their own frustrations. So I wrote this piece just to sort of say like, we should think about how we're talking to each other online. Like this doesn't feel good. And most people reacted really positively to that post. I think that a lot of people felt targeted by it and lashed out even more because of that post. But it was one of those times that I was really thinking about how people are using the internet, how we're using people that we don't know online as punching bags when things get really tough. So that was sort of what that piece was about. And I would imagine also that when people see someone like you in the position that you were in, they, f- they forget that you're a human being with feelings. Mm-hmm. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I really felt for you after that post and I was really glad that you wrote it and I'm and then you updated it to say that you got so much great feedback after. Yes, so, I did. Yeah. So you have a supportive community. So that's amazing. And then it was decided to put a form in place so that if you did have a comment, you had to fill out this form. So did yes, that and help? that actually happened later. Yes. I think that something I'm really interested in is this idea that negativity online, it usually is much more negative when it's public. Um, And when it's anonymous. So part of the form, you had to put it in your real email address. And I think that that really filtered out people who might have written something really cruel. But I do want to acknowledge with that post with the we need to talk about how we talk to each other. Something that I think was to my detriment in that post is I don't think that I properly acknowledge my privilege in writing that post. I think that just in retrospect, looking back at it, you know, I think one of the I think that the deck was something like right now sucks for everyone. And I looked back at that piece before this interview, and it kind of made me cringe because I was thinking, yes, it, it does suck for everyone, but I completely understand. And I have empathy for people that were being so mean online because I had a job for the entire pandemic and that's really rare and that's a place of enormous privilege. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I think that that's something that I could have done better in writing that post. It doesn't necessarily excuse the amount of negativity that I received prior to that post, but it is just something that I wanted to make note of now, you know, almost a year and a half after writing it. That's great. And I, a a learning is okay. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's been part of the process for all of us. But thank you for saying that. And we hear you. (laughs) 
I think that's so that's one of the most challenging things about putting things online is that, you know, it is kind of a snapshot of ourselves in that moment. And then Mm -hmm. it never goes away. And we and so it's it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And then there was another post that came out about boundaries that I thought Mm -hmm. was it got me thinking about the lack of boundaries with social media. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is there's the boundaries in our own close relationships, our Mm -hmm. boundaries with ourselves. And then there's also you know, you get on Instagram and maybe you just want to see your friends with their kids and we're hit mm-hmm. with all of this other stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. there's no boundary on this mm-hmm. new, very powerful machine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm wondering now that you have kind of pulled back a bit, you have your newsletter, which I love. Thank you for doing oh, thank that. Thank you. And well, we needed the list. So, you know, that. <laughs> The recommendations continue. (laughs) The recommendations continue. So now that you are less on social media, how are you kind of scheduling it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, if your phone is next to you, are you able to say, for example, no, I'm only looking on Tuesdays? Or do you Mm -hmm. like, how Mm -hmm. are you doing it for yourself so that you're not feeding into the addictive behavior? Yeah. And are you specifically asking me about creating content or consuming it? Because I almost think of those as two completely different. Well, I think that's the dilemma, right? As someone who creates content is you want to share Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. want to tell people. So how do you schedule your output? Mm -hmm. But then how do you also check Mm -hmm. what you're taking in? So it's both. How do you do that as someone who is putting out a newsletter, who is, you know, wanting to use it Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, but then also digesting what's Mm -hmm. out there? Yeah, I mean, I think that the best way that I have to answer that is that I have always been very hot and cold with Instagram. I have these moments of inspiration where I feel really excited about it. And I like posting in those moments where I feel like, oh, I'm having fun making this reel about pasta. It feels creative. I'm enjoying it, which is the feeling that I always get creating my newsletter. Like, I love it. It has been the most wonderful creative outlet for me to write Morning Person, to publish it every Tuesday. It feels like this very controlled space. I love putting it together and doing the graphics for it. And sometimes Instagram feels like that. So for me, I have been trying to, <laughs> I've, I have not been posting a lot. I've been trying to post once a week when the newsletter comes out, just to kind of let people know that it's out there, you know, also to do some marketing for it, just to direct people from my Instagram audience to my newsletter audience, which is sort of my, very much my focus now is my newsletter on Substack. So that is the bare minimum. And then within that, sometimes I feel inspired and I'll create a reel or I'll create more content. So I guess I have the luxury of, because the newsletter is my focus, of not creating as much on Instagram anymore. And sometimes I do feel like I should be creating more, but I just... I just don't. It just doesn't. It doesn't inspire me that much. It doesn't feed me. There might be moments where I'm posting more when it does feed me. But I really try to ask myself, like, how does this make me feel? Like, am I excited to be posting on Instagram right now? And I also every time before I post, I ask myself, I try to ask yeah, myself, like, like, what is my intention? With exactly. This? Yeah. Like, what is this giving the people who are consuming this? So that could be really obvious. It could be a recommendation for a show, or it could be something a little little bit more subtle where I often post pictures of hikes because I want to inspire people to get outside to see that and think like oh that looks really nice I want to go outside so I want to always make sure that it actually like serves the people who I'm posting for and that the purpose is not hey look at me look at my amazing life look at my amazing friends because that's where I start to feel really icky when I see that content over and over on Instagram and then in terms of consuming it I mean I've a really limited the people that I follow on Instagram I've muted a lot of accounts, which I think is really powerful and people should utilize. So not that many stories come up for me. So it's not that hard for me to limit my use. And just as the grounds for me muting or unfollowing people, it was just does this content interest me? Does it excite me? Does it make me feel good instead of bad? So I would say that I don't spend that much time on Instagram, maybe 10 minutes a day. Even if that, I just, I've been really busy with school also, which has definitely cut time on my Instagram usage. But yeah, that's sort of where I'm at now. But I do feel like maybe I need to spend more to like be in touch with it. But the truth is that I just don't want to or have an interest there. But I think also you create a habit 
for your readers, right? Mm-hmm. We know that on Tuesday, your newsletter is coming out. Yes. We know you're going to post something on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then it makes it exciting when you do post as mm-hmm. opposed mm-hmm. to a fatigue yes. sometimes. I'm not saying over your content or anyone specific. I'm just saying that I could see that that mm-hmm. could happen. And I worry about that as well. So I, mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting. So I think. Oh, definitely. And there are people who I follow who I really enjoy a lot of their content. But I get fatigue because I know that they'll post, you know, 10 stories talking to camera where I'm, you know, in a place where I don't want to put my sound on. Then I'm sort of tapping through <laughs> those, you know, I'm tapping through those. And I'm just like, just show me the good stuff. Show me what you're cooking for dinner or what you're interested in. So that also happens. Yes. Do you have a class right now that is your favorite class? And if so, what is it? And what are you loving? Oh my gosh, that is such a big question. So I'm in five classes this semester. And oh my goodness, that is such a big question. One of the classes actually that I have been surprised by how interested I am is in it's a career counseling course. So counseling students take career counseling just because Career counseling was actually like sort of the foundation of counseling overall. It started in 1908, and that sort of was a huge basis of the counseling profession. It's a required class that I initially thought, oh, career counseling. That just reminds me of like my high school guidance counselor. It sounds so boring. <laughs> Where do you but... see yourself in five years? Exactly. Well, if I knew that, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> exactly. But it's been, you know, and thankfully also because I have a wonderful professor, but And maybe it's also because I'm at this very transitional phase of my life that I've found a lot of comfort in it. But it's been really interesting just to read about different theories and approaches to career counseling and just the idea of sort of like assessing people for traits versus the idea of applying different theories like narrative theory to career counseling and the stories that we tell ourselves and how those ultimately can lead to a fulfilling career. So I'm still in, I'm still very much like a nascent, nascent student. I'm literally in my third week, but I've really enjoyed that class. So I just want to go to your time at at Cupcakes Mm -hmm. and Cashmere. Mm -hmm. So I remember the day that it was posted that you got the job. I mean, the dream job. (laughs) Yes, I've been following for a long time. (laughs) No, I love it. Listen, it's a happy place and I I enjoy visiting it. And um... as do I. (laughs) So how like what advice would you give to people who are looking for a job right now like how how did you approach the job interview how do you create the rapport with the other person and then what do you think ultimately are maybe some tips and tricks to kind of nail a job interview oh my gosh you just walked into such a huge question just because this is exactly what I'm studying now and I know know, and that's why I'm jumping all over the place future counselor I'm like oh I don't know what my you know what my paradigm or my theory is yet so I don't even know how to answer this yet which is the most obnoxious thing I could say but well it comes down to how do you think you nailed that I mean I can't imagine how many people applied Mm -hmm. for that job and you got it Mm -hmm. so I think a huge element of me getting that job a was right place, right time. I think a lot of hard work, yeah, but also luck went into my career. I was very lucky to get the position that I got before Cupcakes and Cashmere as an editor at Food 52. I literally was applying there at a time where I didn't have a lot of experience. I only had internships under my belt and they were in a huge hiring spree and they were willing to take me on. So even having that background was really helpful. I think also I... So of course, there's this element of experience, and I took on every editorial internship I possibly could have during college, but also I applied to that job with a genuine passion and interest for it. I had been a Cupcakes and Cashmere reader, I think, at that point for about five years, which was almost as long as the blog had existed for, and I think that I very clearly showed that I was interested in it, but also that... I had a clear vision of where it could go and that I wasn't just, you know, a fangirl applying for this job, but I was somebody who really had a passion for the company and for building cupcakes and cashmere, but also a lot of ideas for how to do that from a business perspective. That's Um, so interesting. mm -hmm. So that's kind of the advice of be doing the job before you even get the interview, like really have a clear Mm -hmm. vision of how you would do the job. Yeah, And of course, it's not always possible to apply for a company that you are so passionate for. I mean, 
you know, this was a blog that I loved and I'd connected with. And I felt like I had this relationship with Emily before I had ever even met her. And I was lucky that once I started the job that those all aligned and that, you know, my hopes for us being able to work together fruitfully came to fruition. But yeah, I think if you're lucky enough to apply for a job or to pursue something that you're genuinely interested in, I think that that always sets you above. But I think, you know, if you're not, then just do your research. Like I think so many times in, in my, you know, when I've been in the position of being the person who's doing the hiring, I'm most impressed not by people's experience, but by the research that they've done for this role. So even if they don't have a ton of editorial experience or a ton of marketing experience, if they're able to come in and say, I thought that this was a fantastic blog post. I loved how you did this. I loved how you marketed this product. This is really interesting. Like that is going to, I think, make a larger difference than showing, you know, the name of the school that you went to or the experience that you already have under your belt. Although I will say that in terms of experience, I don't think that it's always important for it to be directly in line with the job, but at least showing that you're an interesting person and that you have explored interests in general and that you have taken on um, internships or roles or even projects of your own that, that have been interests for you, I think is always a benefit. What would you say you learned over your past five years at Cupcakes and Cashmere as an editor and as a writer? Oh my gosh, so many things. I mean, when I started in that position, I was 24 and I was 29 when I left. So I feel like it really shaped my adulthood and my career in so many different ways. I was also coming from a job where connecting with the community was important, but it was not as important as Cupcakes and Cashmere. So I think that that was so valuable, just learning how to listen to a community and what, you know, our readers were looking for to connect with them, to create events for them became a core part of my role outside of just writing and editing. Yeah. I mean, I'm almost like, what didn't I learn at that job? I I learned a lot. Yeah. How do you write a headline for a post Mm -hmm. that is going to grab people's attention? What Mm -hmm. goes into thinking about it? Does it just pop up after you've written your piece? Mm -hmm. Or is Mm -hmm. there kind of a a tactic behind it that you could share? Yeah, you figured out because you always write the best headlines. So Oh, thank you. So I will say that there is no magic wand that you can make (laughs) over a headline. Unless I mean, there are certain phrases that always do well. Oh my god, like saying, you know, my morning routine or my capsule closet or my, you know, my secret to this or the best whatever, like those, of course, are clicky things. And I will always click on an article (laughs) that says that. But the posts that really performed the best were the posts that I wrote from a place of just genuine excitement and interest. So, you know, our editorial process was that I would often come to to Emily with pitches and just say, like, these are the things that I think are interested in writing about, and we'd have conversations about them. But occasionally, I'd be so excited about a post that I would write the entire post and basically present it to her completed and say, I'm so sorry, like, I wrote, (laughs) like, I went for it. I'm so excited. And those were the posts that did best. The ones that I was just, I was so excited. I was so interested in it that I couldn't help but write about it. So I think that A, that interest comes off genuinely. I think that there's so much fluff content on the internet that when someone is writing something because they're genuinely excited about it, I think it really comes off. And you also, as a writer, just sort of have to trust your gut about what you're excited about. Probably other people are going to be excited about too. And then you did a lot of the storyboarding for content that was put out, sponsored Mm -hmm. and otherwise. Mm -hmm. So how did you do that? What did you think about when you were putting that together? Mm -hmm. Was it about highlighting? Because one thing I always notice is that, you know, you might be promoting a product, but at the same time, you're also promoting the dress she's wearing, the earring she's wearing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes into it. And so that's why I'm asking what, how did you pick the focus? And then how do you pick the elements of the story? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that gets really into nitty gritty marketing. And that's where influencer marketing and influencer sponsored content is really unique in that you want to always tie it back to the person. So for example, when I'm creating my own content, or when I'm doing a sponsored content for myself, I really try to fold it into my life so that it is, it is taken as something that is genuine. So you know, first of all, I very rarely work with brands and take them on. But when I do, it is products that I really, really am passionate about. And so I want to show how this fits into my life. So for example, if I'm working, you know, I did a stories that were sponsored by LeVan, the bakery in New York had made frozen cookies. And I just wanted to show how I actually make them and involve them in my day. So I showed sort of like the entire process of a Saturday almost. So going to the farmer's market, coming back from the farmer's market, taking these cookies out, making these fresh baked cookies, creating an emotion around that. So usually when I'm storyboarding sponsored content, I'm really thinking about how does this actually fit into my life? How does this fit into my life in a way that's interesting to show on Instagram? You're always thinking about storytelling on Instagram and not just out of the blue saying, I love these cookies. It's like, how does this fit into a narrative? That makes so much sense. How do you figure out who your personal brand is so that you know mm -hmm. how to put your stories into context? For me, I, do, <laughs> I, I have been posting so much less than I normally do. And I really, I would say that my personal brand has sort of evolved and it is a fairly direct reflection of me just because I'm thinking for myself from less of a strategic sense. You know, so I just accepted, for example, a sponsored opportunity for an at-home fitness device. And it was something that I had literally already been stalking and considering about buying and looking into. And I was so, so excited about because I always work out at home. And that was something that I discovered I loved during the pandemic. And so for me, when they came and they offered, do you want to do this? It was like, oh, of course, this is something I'm already so interested in. I'm so excited to try this product. You know, I made sure that within my contract, there's the ability to try the product. And if I don't like it to not do the content, because I wouldn't want to test it out and then say, Oh, I'm beholden to making the sponsor content around this. So for me, the personal brand, it's always key that it really reflects things that I'm interested in. And, you know, it might be a more polished version of myself, I'm not going to show sort of when my house looks like a total mess, just because I don't I, you know, I don't know. I usually just am not inspired by seeing that. But of course, my house is I'm sitting in my office right now. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's really, it's not good in here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I would say it's me just slightly more polished. So mm -hmm. capsule closets. Yes. This goes back to you're a natural editor. Mm hmm. When you posted the pictures in your house of how well everything was edited, I, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to move and start all over <laughs> and throw everything away, but mm -hmm. I can't let go of stuff. Do you have advice for people mm -hmm. who want to have a pared down mm. version of their life, but, you know, it kind of plays into the transition because part of the issue is what if I go back into an office setting Mm -hmm. Do I want to get rid of all my office clothes? Mm -hmm. And then I also mm -hmm. live in Canada. So you have extreme temperatures yes. of plus 40 to minus 30. So you have to have all the clothes for all the seasons. Yes. yes. So that gets harder too. So I'm just wondering, how do you approach it? I know you said your style icons are, you know, 1980s, like Diane Keaton and mm -hmm. all of this, like kind of like the turtleneck, the blazer, the jean jacket, yes. the jeans. Yes. The black pants, the sneakers, and like mm -hmm. the shoes. And so you have like a really clear vision. And I'm just wondering if you're in transition, how would you approach it? Do you have any advice? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I would say is that for me, the pros of a capsule closet so outweigh the cons. I mean, the reason that I initially created a capsule closet is that I had a closet that I had been, you know, building for 10 years and I felt like I couldn't find anything I wanted to wear in it. And that was because I kept buying pieces that were trendy or that were inexpensive and sort of stuffing them in and thinking like, oh, the more I have, the more I'll have to choose from. And that was not the case for me. And so I took the Kanmari approach and I edited my closet, literally following her book to a T and have kept it extremely edited since just because I felt like I have so many things going on. The last thing I want to think about each day is what am I going to wear today? I really just want to feel like I can open my closet. 
I can grab any shirt, any pair of pants, any shoes. They're going to go together. It's going to work. And that is thankfully where I'm at now and where I've been for probably the past three or so years. The biggest things that I would say about it is to, I completely A, understand the idea of like, okay, if I, you need, for example, if you work in an industry where you need suits, I don't know that I can speak to that with any level of expertise just because I haven't worked in an industry like that or my castle closet couldn't apply to every part of my life. So I'm really lucky in that respect. And maybe if I did work in sort of a more traditional office environment, I would need to have maybe a small part of my wardrobe that was dedicated to that and sort of split it half for weekend and half for work days. But my capsule closet, it's made up of pieces that I feel are polished enough that I feel confident going to the office in them. I feel confident going out to drinks with friends. They're casual enough that I wear them, you know, to school every day. So for me, they really fit every element of my life and where I'm at. And I will say that the question that you touched on, and I'm sort of, I'm talking a lot right now because I think you asked so many good questions in your initial <laughs> question. So I'm just sort of ticking them off in my brain. But the two more things that I'll add is that when you talked about I live in Canada and I need layers. That's one of the most frequent questions that I receive about capsule closets. And I think just think of your capsule wardrobe as the foundation. So most of the pieces in my capsule wardrobe are denim, like jeans and basically like beautiful blouses or sweater tank tops. Like that is what I wear almost every day of my life. And then everything else is layers. So I have that as my foundation and that's what I wear most days. I have literally one pair of cutoffs and that's what I'll wear in the summer with my tank tops, but I'll wear that. And then I have like, you know, my LL Bean coat and I have sweaters. I have things that I can layer over that. But the capsule is sort of that foundational layer. And then I'm trying to think, oh, the other thing that I would say is to make sure that you avoid the trap of nostalgia. So I was keeping- It's so hard though. Yes, it's I know. So, that's, that's the hardest piece for me. Yes, yes. Yeah, so tell me like, what are some of the pieces where you're like, I don't wear this, but I could never let this go. Oh, I have so many pieces just <laughs> that maybe like that I bought on a trip at H&M. Mm -hmm. It's just something in that moment that made me mm -hmm. really happy, but that I haven't, I literally haven't worn in seven mm -hmm. years, but I'm convinced yeah. that I will wear it one day. Do you think that it's still making you as happy as it is making you frustrated every time you see it in your closet and you're thinking about even the guilt of not wearing it? Yeah. There's something about okay. the guilt of letting it go and the money that I spent on it. Yes. As that if, is a real thing. If I keep it on the shelf, I won't have wasted the money. <laughs> Yes. So one of the things that I actually love that Marie Kondo writes about is this idea of expressing gratitude for a piece of clothing before you let it go. So I'm not a particularly woo-woo person, but I love this aspect of Kanmari where she says, you literally, when you're letting go of a piece like that, you say thank you to it. Like before putting it in the pile to go to Goodwill or to Poshmark, you say, you know, thank you so much. You have served your purpose. I don't need you anymore. And that has made it easier for me to let go of pieces. I know that other people recommend taking photos of pieces, mm -hmm. but I'm fairly ruthless in the nostalgia sense anyways. So <laughs> it has not been that big of a problem for me, but I completely understand. I will work pieces. on it. I will work on it and I will try it because I, I I would love I think part of the problem too is I think you have to have a really well-built closet mm -hmm. that lends itself to being organized and mm -hmm. I don't have that situation oh, right now my... my closet is awful truly I mean it is basically a crawl space genuinely <laughs> genuinely my <laughs> yes it does not and that that's a reason that that's not on Instagram it's just there's nothing inspiring about it when I first created my capsule closet, which I, you know, I could do now is I had a hanging clothing rack in my room that was actually beautifully built and we ended up selling it, which I kind of regret because <laughs> it was really great and Jonah made it, but actually a Cupcakes and Cashmere reader has it now and she loves it. So that makes me happy. That was a beautiful way to showcase it, even if you don't have a gorgeous closet. But right now I truly, our house is built in the early 1900s and my closet is sort of, it's a classic craftsman house and the 
the eaves of the attic. There's basically a door that goes where like the house completely is at an angle. The roof is at an angle. So it's this tiny space where I actually have to like completely crouch slash crawl to access my clothes. So <laughs> in terms of inspirational closet space, <laughs> I'm living proof that it can be done in any space. You know, you just got to make the most of what you have. Well, now I want to see it. Now I want you to share. I want to see you like crawling. I'll send in you your... a photo. I'll send... <laughs> it's, it's like a dungeon in there. And I, I installed this light that's essentially like a floodlight just so I can see to the back of it because it's it's really oh hard. This is oh, you have to do it. You have to do some Instagram like on yes. Halloween. Yes, That's exactly. Awesome. It's spooky. Going back to your job as an editor, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk about Tao Tai for two minutes because yes. you know, I'm obsessed oh, with her writing. I love her the most. Yes. Okay. <sighs> just uh, love her. Love her so much. Yes. And I loved your interview with her. Okay. Thank sorry. you. Go on. Yeah. No, no. Don't be sorry. No, I just, I would feel, I, I just had to bring her up. Number um, one fan club. Number like Tao Tai fan club. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> honorable, honorable member. Yes. Um, yeah. How did you how did you find her and and what do you look for in a writer? Like how do you know that this person mm -hmm. is what you're looking for and is just a beautiful writer and and what was it like mm -hmm. to receive her yes. her pieces and and how did mm -hmm. you know? Oh my gosh, I knew immediately with Tao. And also just a fun fact about Tao, she's so wonderful. And she actually wrote one of my letters of recommendation to help me get into grad school. So wow. yes. Yeah, she we immediately connected. And I think that I had only known her online for a few months before I reached out and said, you know, this might be completely insane. I think that we started working together in like July of 2020 and I applied around November you know I just said I I just feel this connection with you I think that we have this wonderful working relationship and friendship would you would you consider this and she did and I'm so glad and um, she's just such a warm wonderful supportive person so I also just wanted to share that I would not be where I am now without her so she's just so great um, and I, I wouldn't <laughs> be talking to you if it wasn't for her so that's true that's true. She's the glue that binds us. That's right. Um, she's such a special person. She actually reached out to our pitches email. And I think that the first, uh, I think that she sent us two pitches. I mean, it was over a year and a half ago, but I could immediately tell just how personal and vulnerable, but warm she was in her writing and how beautiful her writing was. I mean, you can tell so much about the way that somebody pitches something. And especially with a pitch, it's usually, it's so short. It can be just a paragraph. And, you know, this is when you're like scanning through hundreds of pitches and you're trying to catch an editor's eye and hers just immediately caught my eye. Just it was just so beautifully written. And her first post that she wrote for us was about experiencing microaggressions in this small town that she lived in. And just the way that she spoke about her experience, her vulnerability in it, the way that she tied it back to her own family and her experiences with her mother being there and with her daughter, she just... It she broke told, my heart. Yes. And she told the story so beautifully. And that's been consistent of every piece that I've worked on with her. Like I said, I'm number one fan club. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do a lightning round. Okay. Just for fun. First of all, <laughs> we talked a little bit about your newsletter, but your newsletter mm -hmm. is called Morning Person. Yes. yes. And so... I mean, I know why it's called Morning Person, but for the people listening who maybe don't know as much about you as, mm -hmm. as I do in, in the freaky mm -hmm. online way that we know a lot about people who are total strangers, why did you call it Morning Person and mm -hmm. what is it and how do we sign up? Yes, thank you. So <laughs> <laughs> Morning Person, I like to say that it's a newsletter of obsessively curated recommendations. And what I mean by that is I take recommendations from all over the place. Like I'm truly, I'm constantly with a notepad and like if a friend says that they like something interesting or if I hear something on the radio or if I'm reading something in a magazine or see it in another newsletter, I'm constantly writing things down and vetting them and trying to distill the truly best of the best and put it into a newsletter and Morning Person, which is available at morningpersonnewsletter.com is the newsletter that I always wanted in my inbox. So I feel like my inbox personally, 
I mean, I have so many things that I'm subscribed to because I am constantly looking for these recommendations, but I felt that a lot of the newsletters that I was receiving, maybe I would get like one recommendation from it or see something or I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But I really wanted to create a newsletter where like every single thing was like, wow, that's really cool. And what a great idea. And have this space where every newsletter kicks off with three really strong recommendations that I have vetted. I promise that you'll love them. I feel really strong about them. Then from there, I usually go into to an essay that's something I'm interested about. So my last one was sort of about, it was a little bit of a rant about the terminology of weeknight cooking, but mostly just an ode to the joy of cooking and why I feel that that's so important to really bring into our lives. I've also written about my capsule wardrobe. And from there, I'll sort of write to a theme. I'll either have recommendations that have something to do with cooking. And then I have this little section at the bottom where it's like this funnel for everything else that I couldn't include, where it's just links to things where I think that they are interesting and worth checking out. So that's Morning Person. It's weekly. It comes out every Tuesday. I'm working on expanding it. But you know, life as a student, we don't know exactly when that will happen. It is called Morning Person because I am a morning person. That is generally the time of day where I am the most creative. That's when I write the newsletter. That's when I research things for it. And I have historically worked on creative projects in the morning. So I just sort of wanted to capture that idea. You do not need to be a morning person to read and enjoy morning person. <laughs> when you're writing it, do you think about inclusivity and does that play into it? And if so, how you think about that? Absolutely. Or how you approach it? Yeah. So I'm always trying to think about the different voices that I'm representing. I want to make sure that I'm not only speaking and representing the voices and recommendations that reflect dominant cultures. So I'm always thinking about that and not just vetting whatever the mainstream content is, but also always trying to look deeper and think deeper. That's something so the newsletter, it reflects my interests and my interest in raising other voices is also very strong and core to me and is a lot of the research that I'm doing at school is through a social justice lens. So yeah, I'm sort of always making sure to be inclusive in Morning Person. What book is on your nightstand right now? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think. Oh, you know what it is? It's Amor Towles' latest book that's coming out on October 5th. I don't know if you've read any of his books before. No. So speaking of inclusivity, I'm like, oh, it's this white man who's already a New York Times <laughs> bestseller <laughs> you know yeah but he is currently that is the genuine answer he's on my nightstand right now he wrote a gentleman in moscow and he wrote rules of civility which has maybe my favorite protagonist of all time katie content he's just a really phenomenal author so he comes out with a book i think it's called the lincoln highway and it comes out on october 5th so that's a book that I'm reading right now. I also, right now in front of me, I have Gia Tolentino's book, Trick Mirror. I don't know if you've read it, but I find myself constantly referencing that. So that's a book that I've read maybe five times Okay. that, <laughs> that I'm always thinking about. She's a really brilliant sort of cultural writer right now. She's a staff writer for The New Yorker, but she's always thinking about a lot of ideas that I'm very interested in. But she puts things so beautifully that she often gives me the framework to jump off and think about these ideas myself. Amazing. What's your favorite TV show right now? And is it Ted Lasso? Oh. It, okay, I have I have something to admit. I sort of fell off the Ted Lasso train in season two. I watched the first episode and it did not grasp me. And I'm very, very quick to jump off of TV shows. It's one of the things that Jonah, my husband, might say is a pet peeve about me that I will like X a show out of my life so quickly if it does not amuse me for it's an so episode. It's so funny because my husband and I had the same experience with the first yes. episode of season two, but we stuck it out. And okay, I'm so and then happy it gets we good. did. Okay, so maybe I need to reassess my evaluation of it. So what um, is your favorite TV show right now then? I love the series. It's on Netflix called Sex Education. I don't know mm, if you've seen it. Jillian Anderson. It is so wonderful. And season three just came out. And it's just, it's so brilliant. It took me a really long time to start watching it. I think, mm -hmm. I don't know, the premise just didn't sound that interesting to me, but it is. It's wonderful. It's so heartwarming. It's so smart. I just, I love it. And favorite movie that you saw in the last year? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I know it's I, hard. I know. Well, I just watched this incredible movie. It was one of the movies that I saw in theater. It's called The Alpinist. And it's 
directed by the same person who directed The Dawn Wall, which is about Tommy Caldwell, who's this incredible climber. I, in general, love climbing in mountain movies. It's just a niche that I adore. I just find them so fascinating and sort of these people who go on these incredible adventures, but it's about this man. I think that his Marc-Andre Leclerc, you might need to fact check that in because I'm not (laughs) sure I got it correct. He is a solo alpinist, which means that he climbs up mountains or he free solos them. So he does them without ropes. And I just thought that it was sort of an ode to adventure and to doing things for yourself, not for any recognition. He often goes on these adventures completely alone and will do these record-breaking climbs without anybody even knowing about them. So I just, I loved that documentary. And my last question is, what advice do you have for people who are maybe having a rough time right now Mm -hmm. to find joy, to find pockets of joy and to, yeah, just to get through right now? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is such a difficult piece of advice because I don't know how possible it is for everyone. And to be honest, I'm finding it really difficult to do it myself. But to try to find moments where you're doing nothing and you're just setting aside time, even if it's literally 10 minutes, to just sort of sit or, you know, do something with yourself if you're not comfortable with your mind wandering But to just try to carve out those times, I find that I'm somebody who I can so easily just jump into work the moment I wake up. But whenever I set aside 20 minutes to read in the morning with my coffee before doing the things that I feel like I should be doing, I just feel so much more invigorated and excited. And it was during one of those 20 minute reads that I decided to apply to my master's program. So you never know what will occur to you during that time where you just carve out and make 20 minutes for yourself during the day to just sort of sit and do something for your pure enjoyment. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you. easier said than done, but. <laughs> it is. It's it's hard. But I mean, I think we can't be reminded too often to just just take a take a break and stop and, mm-hmm. you know, nourish our, our soul and our mind. So I think it's, yeah. I think it's great. There's no right answer. <laughs> we're all, we're all figuring it out, right? There's yes. No, there's yes. No and if you figure out the secret, please tell me. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your generosity and your time. And, uh, you know, you. congratulations on having an incredible run at, at this amazing happy place. and that we call cupcakes and cashmere and I wish you best of luck and you know I can't wait to see what you do no pressure but you know (laughs) just enjoy it enjoy it and see where it takes you and and you know let yourself change your mind Mm -hmm. but but I think you're you're doing the right thing I I do and thank you I support you I so appreciate it. I will carry those words with me to my (laughs) night class today when I'm sitting there at nine o'clock thinking, (laughs) what am I doing here? But I so appreciate it. I so appreciate you taking the time to to ask me such thoughtful questions. Um, This is just such a wonderful space. And I love that you're using this podcast to explore your own interests and so many (laughs) questions that we all have about life and transition. So I really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much, Leslie. And have a great class tonight. And I'll be (laughs) reading Morning Person. And I'm so glad you added On the Verge. Yes. Yes. I'm (laughs) I'm a huge fan of of Amy Delphi. Delphi. She's the best. I love her. All right. Well, thank you. I'm going to let you go. I'm sure you have (laughs) things to do. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. (laughs) Bye. She is just pure light. I can't wait to see where her intelligence and always evolving mind and appetite for adventure takes her. I know I'll be watching. I also know I would love to walk in the forest with her with her dog, so I hope that she opens her practice. My biggest takeaway from this chat, as if the sheer joy of this experience wasn't enough, it was very exciting, is number one, to take 10 to 20 minutes a day to do something I truly love and the answers will come. Answers that may lead to other questions, but that will make sense when I look back. Regarding social media, always ask myself how I'm feeling when I'm using Instagram. Take the time to edit who I follow and post with intention. Her latest newsletter is a deep dive into the negative effects of Instagram, and a part two is coming up. She does talk about how 
Instagram is literally changing our brains. So sign up for morningpersonnewsletter.com and stay in touch with Leslie. I highly, highly recommend it. She has not only a lot to pass on as she goes through her master's adventure, but her recommendations are great. She has such a breadth of interest, so there's always something interesting. No two newsletters are the same, so I highly, highly recommend it. I need to try this Maria Kondo thing because soon there will not be room for us in the house. I read the book a few years ago and got completely overwhelmed by all the steps and the process that she uses and, and folding clothes. I just, I don't have the storage for that, but I do think there might be something to this say thank you and give it away. So I'm going to try it. <laughs> My bigger picture takeaway from this chat is to be generous. When I reached out to Leslie, I didn't even know if I would hear back from her. Not only did I hear back, but then she volunteered to help me with this podcast and said yes to this conversation. So it's been a huge honor for me to speak to someone that I've been admiring from afar for so long. And it has really touched me. So thank you, Leslie. We are all connected. It is our superpower. Be generous pass it on. And please, if you enjoyed this chat and you are on social media, please share it. Please share it with your friends. And I say that because maybe one person will hear this and say, you know, I've been thinking about going back to school. It's time. And maybe they'll take the leap. You know, we are forced to make these huge life decisions at 17, 18, 19 years old when we just don't have the capacity or experience to decide what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. So go back to school, feed your brain, be curious. And even if it's scary or uncomfortable, go for it. I have your back. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening and talk soon. Thank you.